Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Post Questionnaire. 35 questions giving us insight into what makes creative people tick. Okay, I'm very excited. Today we're seeing a young artist who you met on the internet. That's right. Uh, Sarah Mayahas, a very exciting young uh, conceptual artist uh, working kind of in the interstices between sound, technology, vision, uh, film. Uh, she's, she's phenomenally interesting. And yeah, I was for a brief time on Instagram, which I don't do anymore, but she contacted me on Instagram because she had read a book of mine, Queen of Fashion, about uh, Marie Antoinette's clothing choices. And she's somebody who, with her incredibly refined and very contemporary visual sensibility, uh, is interested in fashion as well and the possibilities of fashion. So she wrote to me just as kind of like a little hey, I'd love to meet you someday. I loved your book. And I wound up coming away from our long coffee here in the village in New York, uh, just an enormous fan of this young woman. And she's, she has a degree in finance, which is unusual for an artist from the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School of Business. And she's done a project called Bitchcoin, <laughs> where she wants to challenge the whole art system where people sell their work and then it rises in prices and art dealers and galleries and auction houses make a lot of money, but the artist doesn't see that money. So you can buy an investment in a work and then that investment will rise with the price of that work as it travels through the system. Yeah. And, and it's I, a feminist intervention. I was going to say, the fact that it's called Bitchcoin sort of tips you off to the beginning of her, her feminist outlook. She did another project where she sat on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange and manipulated a stock and uh, used that kind of the, the movements of the stock and the volatility of the stock uh, to kind of produce this As a work artwork. of art. Yeah, as a work of art. So she is very interested in the sort of intersection between capitalism, money, uh, branding, and um, and art. And we got to see a, a show, a sort of an installation by her at the new museum in downtown Manhattan here on the Bowery, really close to here actually, where she installed basically a baby grand piano or grand piano, and then you put on these virtual reality goggles, and in a particular rhythm with a phrase by Liszt that she recomposed, you see these electronic birds perching on the piano, but they're not really there. And it was really moving to see people walking around the piano with their goggles and yeah. being just uh, stunned by... Transported. Transported, exactly. Yeah. In the same space, we're sharing the same space, so you're walking around and you can see, but you're suddenly seeing things that she's created. Yeah, no, and it, w it was really moving, and that was something I hadn't anticipated about going to that show, is the fact that there's kind of one set of goggles, so people take turns, and you and I were standing by the, the piano hearing the music from Liszt and other little phrases from other composers she likes, although she mentions in uh, our interview, Liszt is a particularly important right. figure in her uh, pantheon of artistic influences and loves. And um, so just getting to stand near the piano, hear the music and sort of see some of the setup, but not see what the people with the goggles were seeing and just watch right. their faces. That's a beautiful kind of um, use of technology. The piece is called Dawn, Dawn Chorus to create presence 
and at the same time not totally share it. So it's kind of a secret or a kind of uh, something you want to enter into. And it's kind of a great way of using technology not to shut people out, but to say, I'm curious what is happening here. I'm curious what is happening and I can expand the parameters of, of what's possible in right. art. And to me, that's such an exciting aspect of, of her work and the extraordinary career she's already had thus far. I think she's probably not even 30 years old, which to me sounds insanely young. And she's a New Yorker, um, born and bred, but also in a, lived in France for part and, of her life. And, and based in, in London, largely. In London. Right. Yeah. And I think is working on directing her first feature film. So uh, I, I don't know how much she's talked about that publicly yet, but that's another thing that I'm really looking forward to seeing of hers and should be uh, coming out sometime in the next few years and also has a very uh, strong and powerful feminist component. So she's an extraordinary person. It's really great that we got to speak yeah, with I'm her. I'm really glad that you got to meet her on Instagram. Uh, thank God for social media. <laughs> that's right. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, welcome, Sarah. We're so happy that you're here today. Thanks for doing this with us. Yes. Hi, nice to see you. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to be here. Okay, so we'll start um, with the post-questionnaire. The first question on this questionnaire is, um, what is your idea of perfect happiness? My idea of perfect happiness is a ripe fig. <laughs> Do tell. Which is because it's impossible to get a ripe fig in New York. Yeah. And you only the best figs I've had are either in Turkey or in the south of France. And generally they're associated with vacation, climbing up a tree, <laughs> childhood memories, mm. and so I really associate a ripe fig with coming directly from like the branch and straight into my mouth. And it's just deli it's totally delicious. So a ripe fig. Beautiful. Oh, that's nice. so great. And that's very Proustian too, because Proust talk you know defines happiness as something you can never really have. So the idea of this perfect memory of a fig that you can't find in New York is uh, <laughs> great. But we'll try to find some for you. Uh, what is your greatest fear? Um, my fear is is not death, but to be alive and not able to experience any type of joy, either through paralysis or through some sort of debilitation that allows you to live, but in such a diminished capacity that it's just pain. Yeah. yeah. You know, we always kind of laugh to ourselves, but that's question number two. Yeah. <laughs> wow. you go from there? And then, in fact, you can go up from there. And, well, we can't accept that we're, we still stay in the trough of the negative for uh, for a minute or two, but I promise it gets better. Um, what is the trait, Sarah, you most deplore in yourself? I think that sometimes I'm a bit scattered, and that comes from curiosity and being able to enjoy lots of different types of subjects and disciplines, and sometimes I I pride myself in being able to bring lots of disciplines together, but then in the worst moments, I think I'm like a master of none, a jack-of-all-trades master of none, so sometimes scattered yeah. is... It feels like that's a symptom of today, though, too. Everyone, our attention is so disseminated in so many different directions all the time. Pulled, what is the trait you most deplore in others? selfishness and generally not thinking of future generations which I think is our our you know that's our, our current state of the world exactly yeah, yeah. sadly uh, which living person do you most admire this is a hard one but I think it would be Musha Prada oh okay <laughs> <laughs> what a great choice tell us more about that this she she studied political philosophy or, or right. something like that. She has a full PhD in this. Mm -hmm. So she, on the one hand, and I think she was a mime. So she has this past that she can somehow keep while being a luxury fashion designer. And the two are not inconsistent in her, which is totally amazing. Mm -hmm. And she has a deep appreciation for the arts, but without overstepping the bounds or she doesn't claim that she herself is an artist she very much says that she's not mm -hmm. so just the the way that she's totally multifaceted and then also you know a business leader mm -hmm. yeah. and a style leader yeah. is is amazing yeah. 
Not many political scientists pull that off. Yeah. I was trying to picture, Uli and I went to grad school together, and I was trying to picture anybody we knew who got a PhD in political science and just how none of them would have turned into a future product or had been a mime. So, yeah, we have to, have to We may discover. We may uh, interview somebody who will yeah. tell us they were a mime. Uh, what is your greatest extravagance? Being an artist. What what else? Why is that extravagant in your view? Because art is art is the extra energy of society. It is it is pure extravagance. No one needs no one no one needs it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then from a personal standpoint, it's the riskiest career you could possibly take. Uh, and and some people will will say, you know, oh, it's not fair, right? So many artists from across the ages come from like privileged backgrounds, oh, and I that's see. because it's an extravagance. Mm-hmm. Like you can only afford to do it really if you can afford to take that type of risk. Mm-hmm. So both from a financial standpoint and also from, you know, like a social standpoint, right. art is extravagance. Yeah. But we're grateful for it. Yes. Um, what is your current state of mind? I think my current state of mind is independence, um, where I'm trying to think of myself both in my work and in my life as just a unit, which doesn't mean that I can't be with people in like full and rich ways. In fact, I'm always collaborating with different people and I'm very happily engaged and I have a family and, and, you know, but um, independence as a means of also taking responsibility for the fate, your own fate. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fate of your work too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That it's down to you. Yeah. Uh, What do you consider the most overrated virtue? And we think that's what society thinks, how other people think. <laughs> um, overrated virtue. I think an overrated virtue is being smart. Hmm. Wow, we are surrounded professionally the two of us by people who think that's one of the great virtues it's the, that's yeah. really interesting right they actually put that above other things oh sure yeah and yeah. why do you why do you think so that's we yeah we yeah. haven't gotten this yeah. answer before yeah. it's great i think well it and part of it comes from i think my own all you know obviously all of this comes from your own experience where i i'm very smart and i find it not the thing that makes me move forward in the world mm-hmm. I think being sincere or or having you know having a direction or like a pa- not passion also I don't love passion because passion can be so close to folly and to being irrational and mm. um but being smart doesn't mean being compassionate being smart doesn't mean actually being good mm. uh and wise yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah right that's a very philosophical answer. I know. I right, love it's that. like an Aristotelian answer. Yeah, <laughs> and, it, it, and it's funny. The one person we've we've interviewed my husband on this podcast before, who's an economist and very smart by kind of general societal standards, and he actually often says to me when I'll complain about someone, "Oh, well, that person isn't very smart." He always says, "Why do you think that being smart is that important or that valuable?" And coming from him, that always That's... feels a little like a slap in the face. But uh, but he means it, and I think he must. Huh. Maybe mean it in the in at least part of the way that you do that that doesn't that's no guarantee that the person is wise that they're kind uh, even that they're doing anything good with their lives yeah. you can be very smart and be uh, yeah. sort of indolent and right. not accomplish anything or contribute anything or you can be smart and do terrible things so yeah that's, that's a great answer mm-hmm. on what occasion do you lie I really have a bad poker face, so I really don't lie, but only when I don't want to see people. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I'm go- I'm traveling. <laughs> we were lucky. <laughs> we would never do any such thing. Uh, definitely not. We're, we're honest as well. Smart. Uh, <laughs> all right. What, 
So we know we'll get a truthful answer from you here, or we'll be able to read your poker face. Uh, what do you most dislike about your appearance? I'm very comfortable with my appearance. The only thing that I could point to is a tiny red dot that's right above my upper lip that I think is a popped blood vessel. And the the reason I dislike it is partly because it's so symmetrically placed. Like someone just put a dot, a little red dot, <laughs> right in the middle. And so it bothers me. I always think I could scratch it off. That That's that's it, though. Yeah, so. I like that you're bothered by the symmetry. Of it. <laughs> I know. The artist is bothered by the symmetry. Of it. Please, yeah, don't, maybe don't try. Yeah. No. Listeners, please don't try scratching anything off at home. Which living person do you most despise? It's got to be... Scott Pruitt or one of the other cronies. Especially people, there are many in this current administration, but generally the type of people who are so self-interested and this goes back to the selfishness thing Mm -hmm. and also the people who take science, the science of environmental change and then mess it up by linking it to religion or politics as if science was political Mm -hmm. and I find that cruel (laughs) Mm -hmm. what what is the quality you most like in a man kindness Uh, I wonder if there's going to be a different answer what's the quality you most like in a woman the opposite, like strength. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> Is that the opposite of kindness? Not the opposite, but I like a, a man who is softer okay. and a woman who is harder. Okay. So against the societal stereotype. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yes. Um, which words or phrases do you most overuse, do you think? These days I love saying that something's outrageous. So outrageous. <laughs> so outrageous. <laughs> so outrageous. And you catch all like positive and negative? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm going to start that right now. I know. You're <laughs> an outrageous ex- answer. <laughs> Good. We're, we're outraged. That's more negative, maybe. Um, what or who is the greatest love of your life? Uh, my my fiancé, Stephen Miller Krause. He's the sweetest and the best. And also very smart, but one of... Among good qualities. I'm guessing also kind? Yes, very kind. Wonderful. Outrageous. (laughs) When and where were you happiest? That's a tough one. Um, It's such a hard question, that one. Because... Thinking about happiness, well, first of all, retrospectively, you ascribe happiness to certain moments that you may not have actually been happiest in mm-hmm. as a bias. And and then the moments that you actually might have been the happiest, you might forget that those were the happiest moments. So it's actually such a hard, diffi- like, is it something, is it a moment of achievement, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely loved seeing my film completed and Mm -hmm. watching it Mm -hmm. and having a sense of accomplishment and like rapture while watching it. But then maybe the point that I was actually happiest was eating a good fig or a good strawberry, Mm -hmm. just a good meal. So I find that question really, really hard. Water skiing is a great one. (laughs) Water skiing is great. That's a good moment because it's you're really in the moment. You can't not be in the moment. Right. And it's pure adrenaline, dopamine. So water skiing. And you're outside. You're outside. On the water. Yeah. And the fresh air. And the yeah. rush. Right. And the rush. And also, yeah, the kind of the single pointedness of the focus. I don't have any happy water skiing memories because I always fall. <laughs> I get really excited and topple. And that's never that fun. But, like, as you say, you have to be so focused and concentrated and that I guess silences a lot of the chatter too that can make us yeah, unhappy. Yeah. Are you a water skier or I water skiing or actually all my happy experience I think involve the ocean. Ah, water, swimming. I'm very happy when I'm swimming. If I go somewhere where it's warm I can swim for hours. I can be in the water for long. I that makes me happy. 
very, very Freudian that <laughs> oceanic just, feeling. The, the great yeah. oceanic feeling. That made me think of a happy memory. I remember swimming in Italy, and the the sun was hitting. It was close to sunset, so the way the light was hitting the water was beautiful. And I was with my best friend, and I was singing opera. Uh, but I don't sing opera, okay, so it was just okay. that one time. Singing opera underwater? No, 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 <laughs> just just uh, paddling. paddling and and singing. Oh. <laughs> That's a happy one. That's a good one. We need to try that, Willie. Um, which talent would you most like to have? And we assume that to mean a talent that you don't currently have. Being a good sleeper. Hmm. Oh yeah, we would both love that uh, talent. Yeah, yeah. insomniacs. Yeah. yeah. That's a good talent. The I amount know. of time wasted. Trying to sleep. Trying to sleep, lying in bed. <sighs> and thinking about sleeping. Thinking about sleeping, or just thinking about nothing. I try not to think about anything. Right. Uh, but it's it's can be very frustrating. I interviewed this um, guy about um, Henry David Thoreau, about Walton, how during the time when he wrote Walton in the 1860s, we invented this idea that you have to sleep for eight hours because it corresponds to factory time and mechanized time. And they said, actually, no one needs to sleep that way. People should sleep any way they want and should get up once in the middle of the night and all of that. So there's this pressure also that you're not doing it right. Yeah. yeah. Like you're failing already. That's by what keeps me up at night. Yeah, you're yeah. Like, you should be asleep by now. And you're seeing the hours tick by, like 3 a.m., 4 a.m., <sighs> And the, the rest of the world is on factory time, basically. So right. you wake up and you, you're already behind, yeah. kind of. Right. Or you wake up. Um, talent, uh, yeah, sleeping as a talent is That's a great a one, yeah. concept. Yeah. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? As opposed to sleeping better. <laughs> um, changing one thing about myself. I'm very content with myself. Yeah. I don't think that there's anything that is okay. out of reach. Yeah. What do you consider your greatest achievement? I think my experimental film is my greatest achievement. I think out of the artworks I created, it's it's the one that um, like has the most in it, uh, is the most complex, was the biggest joy to actually create, and I think really represents my varied interests and abilities also in the best way. And and that's what I like about film as a medium is how how many how many skills and how 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 it takes like it takes a whole world to make a film. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And maybe it's it's a medium then that's well suited to what you were describing earlier as the scatteredness or the curiosity that sort of drives you and animates you, right? Yes. Because you can always be doing some different piece or dimension. Yeah, and it can, and the way that it can touch both the heart and emotion but also the intellect mm -hmm. but also your eyes mm -hmm. so being able to you know reach the audience through all of those different ways i think is 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 a, a really great puzzle and a challenge and is more like like what reality is to me when it's not in a museum, can people see it elsewhere? Do you have it? You can just email me and I'll send a Vimeo link. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, because yeah. people who don't have an opportunity to go see it in a show, yeah, that'd be great. We, yeah, yeah, we'd love to we can include that. put that yeah. up on our website and, yeah. um, and make sure that people can see that. How long ago did you do the film, that film? It feels a while ago. It, it, it was crazy how quickly it came together, but the first shooting happened in the summer... 2016, okay. yeah, and then it was finished and shown in the fall of 2017. Um, I think that's that's right. Yeah. I like what you said. It takes a world to make a film. Then he said it's also like reality. It actually yeah. becomes then the world again. Yeah. The fullness, but it, the fact that we create the world as this full thing with all the world involved rather than you just representing this thing already given to us. 
And when you're creating a film and you see you're on set and you see this construction, it's real in front of you. This thing that you kind of just imagined and wrote instructions suddenly appears in front of you. It's like a crazy, surreal experience. Oh, wow. And then you get to record it (laughs) like you want. (laughs) For other people to share. Yeah. 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 Experience. Yeah, I always, when I, I try to explain to people who haven't read Proust, you know, why I, I'm so obsessed with him, why I love his book so much, and I always try to explain that, like, he basically created a world yeah. all over again, but the difference is, you know, as you just indicated, that he didn't then record it and, you know, sort of create it in three dimensions. You have to be able to follow him on the page and imagine, and I think there is something, as you were saying before, sensorily different obviously about watching and hearing a film instead of picturing in your mind's eye how a particular character looks and imagining how in your mind's ear how they sound um so yeah that yeah. Uh, you're and right it's this experiential idea. yeah you have to be really then in it it's not just you're looking at it from the outside anymore. yeah it must be a nice experience to get it done to get a film to film done to get it finished yeah well and now I mean I really want to I'm working on a film and it's you know I feel like I've been hitting my head against the wall for a very long time now but I I'm anxious to be on set because it's such a high really (laughs) it's like a drug oh good (laughs) (laughs) because you're seeing your vision come to life yeah that's why it's exciting we're in the wrong business we're in the right business (laughs) Um, if you were to die and come back as a person or a thing, what or who would that be? I thought about this one. I would like to come back as the piano on which Franz Liszt played. Oh. Because... That, that would be an experience. I love his music. Yeah. And he was a virtuoso pianist. A great superstar. Mm. Yeah. Great superstar and so handsome. Yes. Lady killer. Right. Lady okay. killer. Freaking hearts in every So imagine movie. being his and actual piano and him. And composing <laughs> his own pieces. So creating yeah. actually that also. There are many virtuosos yeah. who didn't write their own music. Yeah. So having those so many talents. Being yeah. his piano, it, it sounds almost way too sexual, it's but... Like, <laughs> totally erotic. <laughs> That's I, want to piano. Yeah. Yeah. I want him to play me on the keyboard. Uh, well, also, and you probably know this because of your involvement with pianos. Right. Um, you know, he was one of the early sort of celebrity endorsement people. So, like, piano companies made pianos for yep. him. Right, that were then everybody could say, "Oh, that's the brand that Franz yeah. Liszt." Who it wasn't Yamaha then, was it? Who was it? It was, was definitely it? not Yamaha, yeah. but I don't know who it could be. Was Bosendorfer Bosendorf, around? Well, that's what I'm thinking. It yeah. might have been a European company. It wasn't yeah. Yeah. Bosendorfer, maybe, but I don't yeah. think we can find out. Yeah. Maybe at the Villa Deste too. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> Just add it, add it to that. <laughs> the setting as well as the. Yeah. the but yeah. you have a little list piece in your current piece yes, in the museum, correct? Yes, there's yes, yes. That list was. Nice. Okay. So to be the piano. (laughs) (laughs) You definitely haven't gotten that answer before and will not get it again. Um, Where would you most like to live? I think Japan, but only if I was part of the the world. Mm -hmm. Any part of Japan or just anywhere? Just anywhere. It seems such a great, wacky place to be. What is your most treasured possession? This sounds cliche, especially given that I'm in photography, but my old photographs of family photographs and a lot of them, my grandmother's house burned, was, was set on fire accidentally a long time ago. And we rescued, we were able to rescue all these old family photographs. So they all even like smell like soot, you know, like, like, so, so that I think it's, yeah, the photographs that survived the fire. Yeah. Yeah. What do you regard as the lowest depth of misery? Depression and just the kind of like the answer to the second question, just the gray purposelessness, I think, is the greatest depth of misery. More than pain, I think, because pain you can maybe endure if you have. Mm -hmm a reason to but when you have no no reason 
What would be, um, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, your favorite occupation? My fa if I weren't doing what I was doing now, my favorite occupation that I could actually do. <laughs> yeah, job, profession, or something you spend your time or with. Or pastime, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Right. I'd probably, if I weren't doing what I'd be doing now, I'd probably be in finance. Really? Yeah. Because you got a degree in... That's, I got a degree in that. My whole family does that. Yeah. I find it intellectually stimulating, mm -hmm. but perhaps not emotionally rewarding. Mm -hmm. And so if I weren't doing being an artist, I'm not sure what else I would possibly have been doing. Hmm. You tried it for a while. I did. I think yeah. I told you that. Right? I was a yeah. I'm uh, dyslexic with numbers, so I was a particularly <laughs> bad investment banker. And in addition to the fact that I was just a bad investment banker, the flipping the numbers around made it very... I kind of doubt that. Not to say anything <laughs> else about all the other investment bankers who stayed in the profession. I'm sure Caroline was a fine investment okay. banker. <laughs> yeah. That's not good. I just, but it's kind of like the thing about having no talent for sleep. I felt every day from the beginning of the day till the end of the day, and as you know, in finance, days are very long. I worked in mergers and acquisitions, so, you know, three in the morning was sort of a standard time to finally be quasi-done for the day. And just every day, I felt like I was behind the eight ball and failing because I wasn't good at that. So I think that's... Yeah, but uh, but uh, yeah, I like the idea of you actually in finance. And then the Mutual Prada answer is also again an interesting one: the spanning multiple yeah worlds that not everyone feels comfortable in yeah. all at once. What is your most marked characteristic? I think I like to wear um, gold and burgundy, and um, and I think it's pretty marked at this point where I can have a fully burgundy. From shoes to to everything, be all burgundy. <laughs> Head to toe. <laughs> Head to toe burgundy. You know, today you're wearing a very uh, a remarkable gold coat. Yes, I get called. I get so many compliments. I get called a queen on the street with the, with, with the coat, gold coat. Yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I'm so jealous that I was not seeing that in my size uh, at Barney's. It's really, yeah, to the listeners here, it's shearling with kind of a crinkle gold. I used to have some Comme des Garçons gold leather pants that had that kind of crinkly, yeah. crackly finish. See, I, I was impressed them. because it invokes completing a marathon because yeah. of the heat-retaining blanket you get afterwards. I thought, wow, you earned this coat. Yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> you walked in. I thought, you earned this. She is a queen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, what do you most value in your friends? Uh, humor. Yeah. Humor. It's good to laugh with friends. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think humor also implies a kind of um, tolerance, forgiveness, acceptance, something like that. Because people laugh or have humor, they don't do that when they're judging. Really, mm -hmm. I mean, you could laugh out of spite or something, but I think you don't. That's that's not humor. So humor is a capacity, I think, to accept certain things. Yeah. With, you know, magnanimity. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who are your favorite writers? Caroline Weber. Oh, no. <laughs> People think I paid you to say that. I'll give me your money later. <laughs> and that book will be available on the yeah. website. <laughs> 25 cents for me. Um, thank you. Well, and that's how we met. I'm yeah, so... it's true. It's true. Is that right? Yeah, I was just such a fangirl. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm so, and I am a fangirl. Could I share yeah. this? Because I read Caroline's book and I'd read Post, but somehow that the book that every sentence is so resonant and you somehow know that all of it is researched and then it becomes this kind of suspenseful tale. I thought it was a really incredible achievement because you read cultural histories and you think I want to learn something about the time, but this one I just couldn't stop. So I agree. Yeah. yeah. Right. A page turner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> page turners. That is, well, thank you both. Um, other favorite writers. Though. I do like, um, I do always, I will, I always end up coming back to Baudelaire. Yeah. His poetry. I always come back to it. Nothing better. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Proust, I think, said some in one of his letters that you know, Baudelaire, and Proust loved a lot of poetry and knew, every, really knew everything by heart, knew all of Racine, you know, all of Corneille, all of Victor Hugo, all of everybody. And, and he um, wrote somewhere toward the end of his life that basically no matter what 
no matter how much you love all of these other writers, Baudelaire is always the best poet. So. It's, it's even I, I guess I'm, French is my second language, but I don't really have any French in that sense. I didn't grow up in a French school, so I don't know. But there are lines in Baudelaire that are in my mind, and it's I think this someone who writes in a very classical style but addresses the modern condition. There's something like La Nature dans ton vivant pilier. It's like this, and opens up. Every sentence opens up something, but it doesn't open up the plenitude of a tradition of God of some organized system. But it opens up on you, on an existential question. Yeah. But I think there's something Baudelaire has. This um, he gives a kind of energy to the French language that Racine probably wouldn't have for a non-French native person which more classical, right? Yeah. I mean, Racine, yeah. for me, you know, it's so beautiful, but it's true that I, I, was, I was once working a lot on Racine, and I, I had this recurring dream when I could fall asleep that I was inside a gigantic crystal, and every facet was somehow like a line of Racine, and I couldn't quite see them in my dream, but I knew they were there. And when you read him, you do feel like you're enclosed in a world, in a very perfect world, but, right. it's, but it's completely alien to us to today. To our existence, yeah. yeah and you're right, right that, that what part of what's really modern about Baudelaire, I think, is that opening yeah. out. Have you, are, is Baudelaire kind of an important reference point for you in, in some of your work? Like No, but actually what is an important reference point, there's this one stanza by Rilke, oh, which I know that, um, and it's, I honestly won't be able to recall it, but it's like that a feeling arises when, flower petals touch flower petals and oh yeah yeah um and then something about like eyelids clo- and then through but then through them light must pass right there's that one stanza and that stanza was so important in my cloud of petals project for the cloud of petals actually i looked at that work and i thought Rilke has the sense that there's a sound that petals make when they touch other petals and for him, this is, of course, an image for erotic touch, kind of the um, the imperceptibility of that connection. But there's so much energy invested in, it, in a petal yeah. for Rilke and a rose petal. And the word in German is for petal and eyelid is the same. So there's a kind of, there's, he, can, he can do something with that. So yeah. you're opening up vision or, or sense perception yeah. through flowers. Yes, which is exactly what yeah. Cloud of Petals is about. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> <So laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, who is your hero, heroine of fiction, film, television? We added film and television because they're such an important part now of the kind of culture people consume, but just protagonist characters that you've, that you've loved. That's a hard one for me. I don't really love, like, one of the reasons I actually love your work is that it's not fiction. Right. Yeah, yeah. And nobody's a hero in anything I've written. Yeah. yeah. I have... I don't really have any heroines or heroes. I mean, I love Medusa, as you know, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure she's a heroine. Right. But she's a character, yes. And I, I think Medusa right now is, 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 you know, my obsession because I think that the myth is so relevant to today, um, to the way we've... You know, we exist in a world of images and and the gaze, mm-hmm. um, and where a person's image, like they can become a monster, mm-hmm. you know, so so easily yeah. today, and negotiating female power within that is also very mm-hmm. applicable mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so Medusa, which is which is really the myth that. I think is so related to artistic creation, right? Because she is like kind of the create. She create. She's a creator, mm-hmm. and and she's also the icon that is represented everywhere. So she's so related to art, and then today she's also so related to women and social media and politics. So, and the you know also the Me Too movement, right? right. She's a rape victim. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. She's the enraged victim who's right. turned into a monster. But who's taking back some kind of power, right? But, who, yes. The, the men who yeah. victimize. And it's kind of like if you've, been, if you've been hurt like that, you do, even if you, you don't become a monster physically, 
like can, how do you trust again mm-hmm. right you become a different type of monster you can become emotionally really callous that's like one way of looking it's very complex and i'm not very explaining it in any you know way very well but the feeling that this myth today mm-hmm. is in 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 the air yeah. but yeah. even saying that to already say she's a victim of rape and the tradition depicts her as this monstrous being because she actually demands justice. Yeah. Or uh, it shouldn't happen. And so, so then what model do we have for that? So she's not an angel, an archangel, but she becomes a monster. Yeah. So it's quite interesting that the category available for women who demand justice, that's, not, that's an interesting one. Yeah. And really also... She's also depicted in so many different ways. Like sometimes she's depicted as a seductress, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And there's such a discomfort in that, right? That our that culturally we've managed to turn this monster who was violated in her uh, in her goddess's temple, right? Because she was Athena's priestess, into a seductress. Right. <laughs> like, what does that say about how 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 desire works? Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And again, that kind of the, the danger around femininity or the the threat that that kind of seduction is then something that's that's castrating, that's fatal. Yeah. I'm so I'm so happy she's become a, such a touchstone for you because I think you're right, Uli. That it, it's a figure that we really should be thinking about today. And yeah. you know. Is there a historical figure that you most identify with? That's a funny one because as a woman, I'm very conscious of the fact that in a historical time, I would have probably identified with like a lowly shopkeeper mm-hmm. or or a wife of uh, mm-hmm. somebody. Um, so if I had to pick in a grand way someone like Cleopatra, right? <laughs> this is so... Who actually Proust picked the first time around. That's right. Yeah. He did. That yeah. was his character. Did he? Yes. Yeah, so this, one of the, the first or the second one, he did this um, this podcast, I was going to say. He did an interview when he was 15, and then he picked Cleopatra as the historical figure he must That's admired. right. Yeah. 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 And I think he had just, if I recall correctly, he maybe had just seen Sarah Bernhardt in Cleopatra in this phenomenal, bejeweled, I, you've probably seen those images, my sense is that probably he also liked that aspect of things because who doesn't? But, yeah. um, but you know, also because history has been sexist and misogynistic for most of time, I think it's fine for us women to get to be grand when we're looking back at the past because there's so little else that's on offer to us yeah. and that's not our doing. It's not your fault that nobody but Cleopatra is known as a woman from that period. Yeah. So right. it's a good one. But you're right, and, it's interesting that Proust would choose her. Anybody else has historical figures or that's- um, it's hard to have affinity with people from such a different culture and setting, right? Mm-hmm. Affinity is based on something that you feel is mutual. So the reason I would pick Cleopatra is because she is was powerful and she's an ancient queen. It's almost so far away that you can relate to it, right? <laughs> like, and... And she's also viewed as this sexy figure, even though you know that actually she was not like that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, she's kind of mystical and you want to be associated with that. But some, a real affinity, I don't, I don't, I have, I have trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Who are your heroes or heroines in real life? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Woohoo. <laughs> Woohoo. Yeah. It's hard to it's yeah. yeah. She's just her yeah. <laughs> There's not much to say. She's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. And uh and even to this day at, you look at her. Right. And it's absolutely outrageous, right? How this diminished frail old body can take on can keep the responsibilities of being a supreme court justice right i mean i can't do that i know <laughs> right. yeah i get i get tired just thinking about <laughs> yeah, what she has to do exactly and, right. yeah and the responsibility that's in her hands too to keep doing it so that and, she doesn't get 
And right now. Replaced, yeah. yeah and and right now and in this... Right now, where actually even the court's reputation and standing is in question for some people. Yeah. yeah. That actually the court's reputation itself has been compromised in a lot of people's eyes. So the integrity that is hers is now upholding the integrity of the entire institution. Yeah. So, yeah. What are your favorite names? My favorite name right now is Iris. And I think that maybe in German it would be something else, but I like the way that it links sight and flowers. Oh, nice. <laughs> what is it in German? No, Iris, it's a... Uh, well, didn't I you say in the Rilke poem that with yeah, the, the petal lid. and yeah, yeah. the lid right. or something? But it had Iris, um, I think we use the same word for the iris of your eye also. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. I like flower, iris, that's a nice flower, yeah. Um, what is it that you most dislike? I really don't like black pepper. It's a terrible scourge on cooking everywhere. Okay. It can be hard to avoid. It's hard to avoid, and that's at a micro level. At a macro level, I think it's uh, the thing I most dislike is the complexity of the environmental issues that are facing our world, right? Mm-hmm. How how it's so opaque and it's so difficult to, you know, it's... I interviewed this philosopher, Dale Jameson, and the question was really, do we have a moral obligation to fight climate change? And he's a philosopher, and he said, basically, our morality doesn't work. He said, we don't have a moral philosophy that can address what we're addressing, so you can't really come up with good answers based on the entire moral philosophy we have available, uh, which is really interesting. And he said... Talking to people who deny climate change also, he said there's no way to win these arguments anymore because we don't have a shared set of concepts. Yeah. So it's a it's a failure not just, let's say, politically, environmentally, institutionally, financially, economically. It's morally there's something quite not working. Yeah. Yeah. It's eluding yeah. all of our yeah. ways of dealing yeah. with right. it other than just ignoring it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that and black pepper. Yeah. <laughs> Two big problems. Um, what is your greatest regret? My greatest regret? You know, I don't know what my greatest regret is, but it's not, it doesn't mean that I'm not regretful sometimes. And so sometimes I'll catch myself just apologizing. I'll just be like, I am, I'm like, I'm sorry. But Alone. Not, but you're not Canadian. <laughs> that does, yeah, <laughs> that Canadians is the Canadians, do. yeah. Is they, it? They constantly apologize. They say, sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, sorry, That's I'm so bothering funny. you with this email. Sorry. About, yeah. sorry. sorry we yeah, had to they, make you come to our podcast, but... Oh, I don't apologize to people. I just apologize, like, into the air. I'm like, I am so sorry. And I'm not sure what I did wrong, but I know that there was something I must have done wrong, and I am sorry for it. You're part of climate change? Yeah, yeah. Just by existing, we're all also part of that. This is another um, pretty uh, direct question. How would you like to die? Oh, this one I've thought about. And... I definitely fantasized, perhaps because I grew up in New York and I always grew up on a very high floor. So looking down, I definitely thought of dying, just uh, falling, you know, out a window. But and I would like it to be like splayed out in a really gory way, but if possible, really beautiful at the same time, very glamorously. Do you know this famous Ouija photograph? There's a very famous photograph from 1942, I believe, in New York City, and it's a woman who landed on top of a car. It's a really horrific graphic photograph. And yeah. since he has, he was part of the police blotter, so he yeah. knew when something would happen, so he took this photograph, and it is, Ugh. it is like a de Kooning Warhol, yeah. but 30 years before, and it's really a shocking image, and she lands on top of this car. Yeah, it's really sorry <laughs> sort of bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, land on the car, but then get painted by de Kooning. Yes, or, something no, very spectacular. It, 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 it pre-visions, yeah. like it presages oh, something like this kind of the female form and this kind of the, the kind of distorted way, but really beautiful. It's so beautiful. Honestly, there's, there's a, a, there is such a link between... So there are some such beautiful crime photo- you photography. You like Baudelaire. Yeah, yeah I, do, I do love like Baudelaire. like that too. Yeah, yeah. You see the... Death and <laughs> the love. Affinity. And, yes, yeah. the affinity. There are such beautiful... Th- there are some images, and I remember feeling bad about finding them so beautiful, of dead dead bodies just kind of 
just still in the grass on the side of a road. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's you see fashion photography that it's very close to it where the body is, you know, immobile and there's something really seductive about death. And so anyways, when I fantasize about death, I would like to be like a fashion photograph. But but in reality I you know, probably yeah. It'd be nice. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, you won't be around. Yeah. Story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not my problem now. Uh, what is your motto, if you have one? You know, it's embarrassing, but I think it's YOLO. Like, yeah. you only live once. Yeah. That's, 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 that's my motto. <laughs> it's a good motto. Yeah. It's yeah. widespread for a reason, and it's true, also. Yeah. As far as we know. 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 Maybe some people... <laughs> Unless you come back as Liz Piano. Yes. You only oh live twice. Or something. You only live twice. You're guilty. <laughs> no, some people believe that. Yeah. We have another question and we add, because um, uh, we just find these conversations so interesting. I, okay, I keep it in my mind already going back over your answers. Mm-hmm. Me too. It's kind of, it just gives you a sense of how someone lives, actually, and how someone lives and connects to their work. It's really nice. So the question is, um, is there anyone you would like to hear um, to listen to who answers the questions on this podcast. Oh, that's a good question. Someone called in the someone. We, anyone in the world is easier if they are alive, but because <laughs> yeah. uh, someone yeah, might give us an idea. Who you too. would you would find interesting. It's just sort of because we just do it basically because we're interested in hearing you. Mm-hmm. We like your work. Right. So, we, so someone you would find. Oh, I'd love to hear what they would answer. Well, in a more traditional answer, um, there's a philosopher that. I am friends with who, who is wonderful, named Samuel Longcar. Hmm. He's a philosopher of religion, but also he's um, he's works with the Marginalia Review of Books. He's he's he writes a lot, and yeah. so I would totally be curious to his answers. But then I'd also be curious about. There's a friend of mine also named Felix Salmon, who's the financial correspondent for Axios. It's like a news, yeah. and he's a he is phenomenal, hmm. um, and he's very funny and and smart in a good way. Hmm. I would be curious about his answers. Those are my. Oh, that's great! Thank oh, you. Yeah. That's people great. we don't know. So yeah, no, it's fun as opposed to. I mean, it's great for someone to say. You know, if you were still alive. Oh, Nelson Mandela. Oh, right. Queen Elizabeth. would love to know what she would say. But it's Meghan unlike- Markle. Well, we'll get to Meghan Markle. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get to Meghan Markle. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. I like the Canadians. Uh, yeah, the Canadians. Um, yeah, the pro and con Meghan Markle movement in Canada. Maybe we could get some representatives. But yeah, so it's fun for us to actually hear about people that wouldn't necessarily always come across our radar, right. too. Yeah. Oh, Matt Levine is another one. Matt Levine is a big Bloomberg financial blogger. He has a huge audience, mm. but he studied classics. Great. And he studied classics, and I think he was a Latin teacher, but then he also worked at a bank, and he's also a lawyer. And so he's just got this, I think he lives a very boring life, you know, with a little daughter in Brooklyn. But he is also wacky. I'd like to know what he... Oh, that's a great <laughs> idea. Yeah, we would never necessarily find him otherwise. Yeah. So, well, fun. Well, Sarah, thank you. We knew we were going to love this conversation with you, and it, we did. So yes, thank, thank you, you so much. much. You're very really welcome. This is great. Yeah. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.